The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Welcome to A Guided Life Podcast, where we talk about all things spirit and life. I'm your host, Laura West. Follow me on Facebook at GuidedWest11, on Instagram at GuidedWest, and on Twitter at LauraWest111. I also have a website at www.laurawest.net, where you can download a free guide on how to meet your own spirit guides. My book, Guided, is available on Amazon, and it's about soul teams, intuition, mediumship, and spiritual tools such as oracle and tarot cards, crystals, pendulums, and so much more. My guest today is Amanda Quick. Amanda is a published author, mother to three boys, wife, quantum energy healer, speaker, and coach. She had a pivotal moment that changed everything, and that event was the catalyst for a spiritual awakening, and it taught her how vital it was for her to take back her power and fight for herself and her children. Hi, Amanda. Thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you so much for having me. So I, first of all, would like to start before we get into that event that changed everything. Can you first share with us the things that you do these days, like as a coach and, and all that good stuff? Yeah. So I'm multi-talented, multi-passionate, and obviously just launched my book, which is very exciting. Very exciting. As far as coaching and healing goes, I help people primarily who are in deep levels of trauma, help them release that from their systems and work with them on their physical body layer, but also their emotional and mental and spiritual body layers as well, because they're all interconnected. And I take them through, you know, to kind of come out of that fog. And then those who have that spiritual awareness also... I act as a spiritual channel and help bring through different levels of consciousness and help them kind of step into their power and figure out who they are and what their spark is and what they want to do in the world. That's fantastic. Now, as the intro stated, your spiritual journey began after this Mm -hmm. event that occurred. Everything that you do now, did you do that before or did that all transpire since? No, it's all been since. I worked in IT for many years after I was a stay-at-home mom. And then I went back to IT and did that. I never saw myself as a coach of any kind. When you go through really big things, everything changes. (laughs) And you really start to step into a different level of self and realize you go through these things for a reason. And so how can you help other people? You know, I started wanting to learn other ways, other modalities. I jumped into quantum energy healing. I jumped into learning more about how our bodies work and how, how we're connected to more and all of it. And it was very, very loud that I needed to do something with all of this. And I needed to not only learn how to help myself heal my, and my children heal, but that it was bigger than me. Yeah. And that really 
was a big part of it. And since all of that, I've also just began the process of starting a new nonprofit that I'd like to you know, help people who can't financially afford the help they need. And it's sparking all of these other things that have nothing to do with what I did before. Wow. Isn't that amazing how life can just take a change? And what a great example of taking an event that could have really... I mean, it flipped your world upside down, but then kept you upside down, if that makes sense, instead of taking it and molding and finding a way that you can transmute that and help other people. So would you mind setting the scene for us prior to that event? What was life like? So it's 2016. I am a full-time stay-at-home mom. I've been a stay-at-home mom for almost six years. I had three kids. They were all boys. My youngest was one. I was the very natural parents, breastfeeding, baby wearing, co-sleeping, never left my kids. And I was very grateful that my husband made enough money that meant I didn't have to, and I could stay home full time. I was usually a very hyper-independent person, but when I came to having babies, it was like, no, no, this is what I have to focus on. I was happily married and my husband worked very long hours, but he financially provided more than what we needed. And I was very grateful and he traveled a lot for work and he was gone a lot. And I wished we were closer but we also had three very young children and they were my world and everything I did revolved around them. Playdates and nap yeah. times and <laughs> park. Mm-hmm. And that was my life. <laughs> I knew that at some point they would get older and I would go do other things, but that was my focus at that point in time. Yeah, absolutely. I think that a lot of mothers can relate to that and just being in mom mode, right? Just being in mom mode and sort of surviving <laughs> and just trying to get right. through that. Three kids under five at one point. And it's oh a my lot. gosh. I, yeah. Oh, yeah. I can't even imagine. I mean, one child under five can be a right. lot. Um, having three. Wow. So you were definitely very busy, very occupied. Yes. So then what happened next? So one day uh, in April of 2016, my husband just didn't come home. He worked long hours and he was absent and sometimes didn't answer his phone, but this was out of the ordinary. And he was already supposed to be later that evening, but then I received like one message asking if there was food and then nothing. He was gone. Phone calls went straight to voicemail, but I thought, well, maybe he went back to work. He got distracted or I don't know. I don't know I'm going to bed. <laughs> like I'm not going to wait sleep over it because he had been historically somewhat absent. And then when I woke up at two o'clock in the morning to nurse the baby and he wasn't home, I was like, something is wrong. I called the hospitals. They didn't have him. And then I went back to bed again. Like, I don't know what to do. And at five o'clock in the morning, when I woke up again to nurse and snuck out of bed again, and I was like, I can't exactly go searching for him. I've got three kids at home. What's happened? And you know, my mind is spiraling. This is worst case scenarios. He's dead in a ditch somewhere. That's where my head is. And what am I going to do? How am I going to be on my own with three kids? I'm freaking right. out. And then I get the idea to call non-emergency dispatch because I'm like, you know, do you have to wait 24 hours to report them missing? You know, what they tell you on TV or whatever. And they were like, well... We can help you, but let's transfer you to the jail to see if he's there first and call us back if he's not. And I said, okay, I'll call you right back. And then the shock of my life when the lady in the other end of the phone at the jail says, yes, we have him. He was arrested for attempted human trafficking with a $250,000 bond. And she said, come get him if you've got cash. No problem. I'm like, what? What? Like, are you sure? As surprised as I've ever been. Because I don't even know what this charge means. We live in this like tiny little Colorado town. Like I have no idea what to even think of it at that point. And my body goes into immediate 
I have to help him. I have to get him out. Something is not right because I don't believe he's a bad person. At first I thought maybe his wallet was stolen and he wasn't even the one in jail. (laughs) You know, that's how far fetched it seemed to me. And so then it was like, he doesn't belong there. Something is wrong. Why is he caught up in this? How do I help him? Like that was my initial response. And so I proceeded to essentially try to do just that. And I know that's a lot for people to understand, but I didn't believe he was a bad person. And to me, there had to be some other explanation. They were just made zero sense to me. And so what we eventually sure, learned sure. is that he was caught up in a sting operation. And he was caught up in a sting operation where in conjunction with Homeland Security and the local police department, they had created the sting operation to offer minors for sex for people interested. And that's what he was caught up in. We didn't have any other details other than somehow he was mixed up in this. So I decided I still needed to bail him out because I still am like, something is wrong. Something doesn't make sense. I don't understand. And so I did bail him out. And his side of the story was very different. His side of the story was he admitted to seeing adult prostitutes. He said that he'd been doing this his entire adult life since he was like 20. He was very flippant when he told me. He was just like, yeah, I've been doing that since forever. And I'm like, huh? What? (laughs) Huh? (laughs) Excuse me. But I'm in so much shock at that point that it doesn't even register. I don't even know how to respond to what he's saying. And then he says, when they offered kids, I didn't think any of it was real, but I had to make sure so that I could report it and I could help them. And that's basically what his story is that he was scared to report it because of what he was doing, but he needed to make sure because if it was real, then he was obligated to make sure he was helping them. He was very much a puzzle solver kind of person and he would always want to go investigate things and understand them. And so on some level, I could sort of see that he would want to do that. I'm still in a tense amount of shock going on. And he's terrified because attempted human trafficking is an indeterminate to life sentence. And he's only admitting to basically consensual acts with adults. I basically talk myself into, I have no choice but to help him and support him because this doesn't add up. And I had a lot of trauma also from my own father not being in my life. And I believed that it was very, very important that I make sure that my kids had their father. And I didn't think he was dangerous. I didn't think he was harmful to children. Like, okay, we got some addiction issues and we we clearly need to work on you know, the infidelity in our marriage, but it was like, we'll deal with that later. We've got a problem at hand. Let's address this. And I knew that he was going to get through it if I supported him. And it, that meant my kids would have their father and he would be able to be in their lives. And so that's what I felt like I had to do. And a lot of people are shocked when they hear, what? You stayed? And I did. I did for a lot of reasons. I, I didn't know how to support myself. I didn't know how to be alone. I didn't know how to even look at things any differently. And so going through the criminal case and the criminal trial, there was additional disclosures in various ways, but nothing that ever said he was a danger to children. And so I just said, well, this is all stuff we'll deal with later. And in the state of Colorado, there had also been a new Supreme Court precedent that stated that a sex offense doesn't automatically remove your right to parent. And so while he was not allowed to be around the kids at home while he was out on bond, basically, as soon as everything was done, he was actually able to move back into the house. And so he was offered a plea deal. And most of these cases are pled out. He was offered a plea deal with only probation. He never went to jail, which also surprises people. There were people in prison for a whole lot less. And he was offered a plea deal. And of course, he took it. And he was also at the same time able to move back into the home. 
And so this would have been January of 2017. And at the time, I was grateful. I was like, okay, we can figure our life back out. We can repair our family. We can all these things. His mental health was really struggling. And I thought he was going to go back to work and find another job and do all these things. And none of that really happened. But I still felt like, okay, I've got this obligation. I've got to stand by him. I've got to help my kids have their father in their life. But as time wore on, it got harder and harder for me to stay in the marriage because the reality was hitting me that he was basically never had been faithful to me. And there was that time he had said that was about 50 different occurrences of cheating. And that number just continued to rise every time he got a new evaluation of some kind. And so it started to feel like there was ghosts in the room. You know, every time he looked at me in in any kind of sexual way was, that's how you looked at them. And I couldn't, I couldn't anymore. And I had actually at that point gone back to work because he wasn't and somebody needed to. So I started coming home after work and like needing a half a bottle of wine to even talk to him. Like I was just having a really hard time. I wanted to figure out how to be in the marriage because that's what I believed I had to do, but I didn't know how to do that anymore. And I was really, really struggling. And eventually I decided I needed to leave the marriage. I needed to not be romantically connected to him anymore. I was fantasizing about dating other people and I was pulling hard away from all of it. And that set his mental health off even more because I was no longer supporting him. And so he started really pushing every boundary he could find and really is trying to keep me in the marriage. And at first he was kind of okay, like, okay, you go get yours and then you'll come back to me. That was basically what he thought. And when that didn't work, then it just started to get harder and harder because he wouldn't take no for an answer. And then out of nowhere, he decided to file for a divorce. He decided, okay, you don't want to be with me? Let's get divorced. At the same time, he also tried to kick me out of the house and tell the court that he was the primary parent. And that to me, that was another violation. That was another, I had, after everything that I had done to support you, you, you did what? And then the behavior started, I started to see more of the really dark behavior and he started to alienate the kids against me. His mental health spiraled a lot. He started to push boundaries in other ways. And the biggest piece as my children's behavior started to change, I started to realize how unsafe they actually were. And that's when it got scary because my children's behavior started to get inappropriately sexual towards me. And then my son says, sometimes I suck on daddy's fingers. And I went, oh my God, this is a man who was arrested for trying to have sex with an 11 and 14 year old. Hello. And it all came crashing down in my face. But because I had stayed and supported him through the marriage, I had to essentially prove to the court that he was a danger to his own children. And Child Protective Services didn't do anything with what I was reporting. And the lawyers and evaluators were like, well, that's not the statute. The statute still says they get 50-50 unless they're a direct danger. And proving grooming and proving intentions are not something that's easy to do. The system is not protective. It's only punitive. Something bad enough has to happen. I was at my wit's end. What am I going to do? How does what happened before not be relevant? But it wasn't. And that's the scary part is none of the criminal cases were case information was very relevant. And so at this point, I was probably at my worst at my rock bottom and I felt completely helpless and I felt like the system was failing me and I didn't know what to do. And my kids were going to end up 
being abused and I was going to have to share custody with somebody who was abusing my children, who was abusive towards me. He was, I mean, the amount of mental and emotional manipulation at this point and the divorce was at high conflict levels. It was bad. My mental health therapist actually suggested that I go see a psychic. And I was like, what? (laughs) You crazy. Because it had never been something I had ever done before. (laughs) And I thought it was all like, you know, fortune telling and not real and any of that. It was totally agnostic. But I was like, "Ah, whatever, I'm going to try everything because nothing is working. Nobody can help me here. And so... I went to go see this lady and she sits me down in the chair and she starts telling me that this is the loudest karmic echo she has seen in a long time. And she starts telling me about this past life that we had had together. And as I'm listening to her and I'm hearing her talk about the physical abuse that happened in this previous life, my body is having a physical response, but the fear is rising in me. And I'm like, what is going on? Like, I don't understand because I was terrified of him and I didn't understand why. And so she was basically telling me this is why. And in that life, he had beat me to death and my body was remembering it. And she said, you got to get a handle on that beer because this life is different. And, you know, in this life, you can own property, you can leave, you can do things differently. So I was like, but I'm trying, I am doing the things. And she says, no, the reason you're sitting in this chair is because you still haven't chosen. You haven't completely chosen yourself yet. You haven't chosen to completely collapse anything to do with him. Because the reality is I still wanted my kids to have their father. I wanted him to get his shit together and heal and get better so that it would make sense again. I didn't want anything that I was in, but by even having those thoughts, I was holding this trajectory open and this possibility and I was giving it any kind of energy. And she's like, you have to choose now that you are done with him and you are done with this pattern for good. And that's why you're here. And I was like, well, okay. I said, okay, I see it. And I'm, I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> she says, okay, good. Now I can help you. I was like, oh, okay. How do I do this? Because I feel like I've done everything. I've hired all the people. I've had all these things. And then she says, there's more people who can help you. There's more people who want to help you. You need to talk about it. You need to ask for help. She's like, you've got to keep going. And she's like, he's not interested in getting better. He's not interested in healing. He's had lifetime after lifetime of abuse, but he's not wanting to face it right now. And you basically have to keep going because there's more people out there who can help you. And I left that with a resolve like, okay, I'm going to make this happen. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to make it happen. And I focused really hard on safety and security for myself and my kids. And what happened next was nothing short of miraculous. A coworker at work told me that she had an uncle who worked for ICE and that they put me in touch with Homeland Security and they put me in touch with the arresting officers that he had originally arrested him. And the local police officer reopened the Child Protective Services case. And even though my son didn't make any new disclosures, he was very much trying to help me. The district attorney unsealed the criminal case file so that I could actually see what happened in 2016 and actually understand why he was arrested. Because you don't get that information. People think that you have all the info, but you don't have any of it. You only hear what the person tells you. The cops don't tell you the details. That's their evidence for their court case. So I got to see all of that. And then I also started listening to my kids in a different way. And I started recording things with them so I could have that as evidence. And they made more disclosures of some of the inappropriate things going on as well. And so my evidence binder was now a three inch binder full of things. And all of a sudden I had the data I needed. And six weeks after that meeting with the psychic was my divorce case. And I stood up in court and I said my piece and we really made a very strong case that the kids were in danger. And 
the judge gave him one last chance. She basically said he had to go get a bunch of other evaluations and have more therapies. And if he did those things, he could have a little bit of time. And if he didn't do those things, he would only ever get supervised visitation. And regardless, I would have full decision-making. And in the meantime, he only had like a couple of afternoons a week. So she immediately took away all of his overnights and he did not a single thing on that list. And so six weeks after that divorce, his time moved to only supervised and we have not heard from him since. So after all of that fighting, he just vanished. How long ago was that from this point? April of 2020. So not quite three years. Oh my goodness. Do you mind sharing? What other things did you learn when you were able to finally open the case file? Yes. So the biggest one was the text transcript back and forth between him and the undercover agent. And that was the biggest tell. And I have actually transcribed it in the book for people to fully read because it's public record. Reading through that made me understand that he actually did have an intention. I was married to him for six years. I had three kids with him. I knew his intimate desires and they were right there. He had a fetish with pregnant women and he imagined knocking one of them up and I knew exactly what that meant. And so it was like a, oh my God, I see it in a horrible, horrible way. He didn't actually exchange money, but he did show up with intent. Ah, I see. I see. I feel like, gosh, as a parent also, that's such a fear. One, they'll be taken, like kidnapped, and then something terrible happening to them. I just can't even imagine. And then you have that person in your house with your children. Yes. At that point, we were sharing custody, so I wasn't even allowed to be around them. I had to send them back to their dad's house, back and forth as this is going on. There's nothing I can do. I would be considered kidnapping if I didn't allow them to go there, even though I know that it's dangerous. Yeah. Like it's crazy making. Your entire mom instincts want to pack your kids in a car and cross the borders and never look back. And you can't. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, that would be so hard. That would be like, that's a nightmare. So you wrote a book about this experience. Yeah, I did. Yes. I mean, that's incredible. Yeah. So the book is called The Sex Trafficker's Wife, a story of truth, faith, and trust in self. And it's really the entire journey. It starts from the arrest and it goes through everything that I went through. It's four years of hell, basically. But it was a ton of lessons learned and a ton of understanding and a a huge level of taking back my power because I had been giving my power away to the system. I had been giving my power away to everybody's opinions of what I needed to do because I didn't know how to put any of this together. I was like, I don't know how to deal with this situation. And so you tell me how to work this out. And I had to really stop and say, no, I do know what needs to happen and how can you help me make that happen? And don't stop. I really believed that once I recognized what was going on, that I had, I made a commitment. I'm going to leave no stone left unturned. I won't lose unless I stop. Like if I don't win this time, I'll keep going because there's nothing that's going to stop me from getting myself safe and my kids safe. Yeah. You started advocating for yourself. Exactly. I started advocating and (laughs) yeah, that's fantastic. What was your intention for writing the book? Yeah. In 2020, after it all happened, It was this like almost shock. Like, how did I have this outcome? Like, it's not even what I asked for. And it's almost better than what I asked for. And it was so loud that people needed to hear the story. And almost nobody succeeds at what I succeeded in. The reality is the majority of people end up sharing custody with their abusers and their children's abusers. That the way the system is set up, most people end up having to continually experience the abuse over and over and over again. And it was so loud that the big part of that is how much power people have given outside of self. And 
that the reality is, even though my divorce cost me over $75,000, it wasn't the money that saved me. It was the change in myself. But the other thing was the amount of people who don't even have the finances to start to have the fight is also crazy. And the people needed to understand the system. They needed to understand how much they could create. When we were doing research on the book, nobody has ever told the wife's story. It's not out there. People hold so much shame and guilt when they are connected to somebody who's done something like this that they don't ever want to speak about it. And we're never going to heal if we don't talk about these things. The biggest intention in writing the book is to help other people feel less alone. The amount of people who are sharing custody with their abusers or their children's abusers are not alone. You're not isolated. People think nobody else will understand. When they read my story, they'll know they're not alone. And there was a lot of stuff within the story that happened that touches on a lot of people's different experiences and the amount of people who are gaslitted and manipulated in their relationships. They're going to see themselves in parts of the story and they're going to know they're not alone. And so that's really my goal is to reach a hand out to people and know that you don't have to stay isolated. You can start to talk about it and you can start to heal. Yeah. I think it's also important to, to share that from the wife or girlfriend or partner's perspective, the person who's supposed to be the closest to these people that you just never know. And that's why I think that intuition, right? Even though he was able to say to you and tell you things that made you sort of second guess what you were thinking, that just shows how important intuition can play because face value, it can be really hard to tell people like that or people in general can put on a totally different front. They can. It's a front that we want to believe. Well, and when you're not used to following your intuition and you're, you're used to following everybody else's opinions about what you should do, even though you have these red flags or you have these thoughts and you just shove it all away and you go, no, that doesn't make sense. That can't possibly be right. That happened the entire time we were together and I just didn't know it. I didn't see it because I didn't want to see it. And going through all of that and actually understanding why people stay in abusive relationships. Like I get it. And I have a deeper level of compassion and understanding than most people do because I've been there. I had to learn how to trust myself first. I had to learn that no matter what, I needed to follow my guidance over anybody else's. And if I could give any gift to anybody in the world, it would be that they can learn how to trust themselves first. So how did you go from an agnostic to a very spiritual person. How did the awakening fit into this? (laughs) Well, so as soon as I succeeded and I realized, oh my God, I, for a little while, thought like my angel guides had saved me. It was like this, oh my God, how did this even happen? And I started down this sort of, okay, well, if she could talk to them, I can too. I just need to learn how. And so I started seeking and I started searching and I found myself in all kinds of crazy Facebook groups. You know, this is middle of 2020. So everything's just gotten locked down and it wasn't lost on me that my divorce had just been finalized two weeks before the pandemic hit. So from a divine timing perspective, it was amazing. They were never quarantined with him. I never had to deal with any of that. And I was like, it could not have happened at a better time. So it was just this like, okay, there's more out there and I need to know. I need to understand. I I believe it worked. I get it. And found myself in starseed groups. I found myself in healing groups. I found myself all over the place. And it was just like this whole new world opened up. I was like, whoa. (laughs) And (laughs) I got connected to people doing energy healing. And I jumped into a quantum healing modality, wanting to open up my own gifts, my own understandings. And as I was taking these classes, I started to realize I'm already doing it. 
I just didn't know what it looked like. We're so used to the way we've always operated. We don't realize how much we've just shut down listening to ourselves. But if we're aware of it, it's right there. And I started to realize how connected I already was. And then I could just start to do more once I was following that. And it just opened up a whole new world. And I made new connections all over the world. And I started practicing on people and starting seeing people shift and working on body issues, working on emotional issues. And I just was like, whoa, <laughs> okay. <laughs> now, two years later, you know, I get full quantum physics downloads. I get information about gravity and time and levels of consciousness. And it's like all this stuff wow. that just pours through me. It doesn't look like I thought it was going to look, but it just can keeps going. So it's just opened me up into a totally different world in a sense. And I start to see how much the 3D reality is only such a small piece of what's actually happening. Yeah. Yeah. So a couple of things. First of all, you know, I feel like 2020 has been the year for people to have their awakenings because the same thing for me, things like snowballed in 2020, early 2020. So you had mentioned that you get these downloads and you mentioned like how gravity works and how, you know, like physics and things like that. Are you asking to understand how that works and what have you learned? So yes and no, (laughs) because it's usually things that I'm talking about in some regard. Like I'm working with clients or I'm having a conversation with some other friends or I'm ruminating on something. So on some level, I'm asking, but I'm not sitting here going, give me this answer, right? So on some level, I've put it out because I'm chewing on something. And it doesn't always happen when I think it's going to happen. Like sometimes I'm like, okay, I'm going to go into meditation and get something cool. No, blank. <laughs> doesn't work like that. It comes when it's ready. And, and there are other times where I'm just sitting and I'm like, Oh my God. And it's like this huge puzzle piece has been placed in my head. And it's just all of a sudden, all these things make sense. And I get these flashes over and over and over again. And it's not like a scene. It's more like sacred geometry and things moving around and energy and light. It's not even something I can really put into human words. The biggest example that I can give you is I was recently, and it's one of the biggest downloads I've had in a while, I saw how time and consciousness and gravity is interconnected. And I was just laying there and it was like built this triangle for me in my head. And then all of a sudden I was seeing that gravity is actually what manipulates time. And because time isn't real, except in this 3D experience, how we experience it and that our consciousness experiences time, but that gravity is what decides how fast and slow it moves. And then all of these other pieces start to come together and I get these examples that go over and over. And so it's like these puzzle, just, it's like my brain just keeps going, 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 going. And I'm like, ah, I don't even know what to do with this. (laughs) That would be the next question. Like, (laughs) why? (laughs) Well, exactly. And sometimes I don't know what, why, and sometimes the why doesn't come until later because then this download connects to this download that connects to this download. And I start to put it together. Oh, that makes sense. Right. So that makes sense. I need to have the understanding of one puzzle piece. And then the, I start to be able to put some of them together. And then even then I think I have it, but then new information comes in or I get a new awareness and it starts to build something else and it's always evolving. And the understanding is always expanding and evolving. And, and so to me, Gravity is not just the weight that physical things happen. Gravity is what causes the magnetism of what we manifest and bring to us because we have electromagnetic fields and that force is gravity itself. And so we can use the gravity of our consciousness to attract and magnetize our desires. And we can use the amount of weight and importance we put on things to manipulate how fast they come to us at our own experience. 
And then I start to see examples of when I've done that. And I start to see examples of when other people have done it. And I start to see how, and when I don't do that, what that looks like. And it's a snowball effect of things that come forward for me. And then I go, okay, how do I, do I teach this? Do I talk about it? Do I write about it? And I just start trying things on and I go, this feels good. This feels exciting. So I'm going to go down this path and I'm going to trust that it's happening for me. And if it's not the biggest launch ever, that's okay, because this is what it needs to be right now. And there's a reason. And I usually find out the reason later. And I trust that. Yeah. Hopefully you're writing all this stuff down. I feel like you could write a textbook. (laughs) (laughs) I do think that's the next book actually, because when I have this big awakening story and, you know, this big understanding and there's a huge level of stepping into your power, but then there's a, then what, right? There's a, then what, and how do we actually really heal? And how do we come out of this in a way that we can help other people? And that's what I feel like a lot of this is. It's the, then what I used to work in it. And so my brain is very much wants to do the analytical thing and put the like puzzle pieces in the system together. And so I'm doing that with levels of consciousness. Essentially, We're just a bunch of computers connect to a bunch of other computers and it it all just (laughs) works like that. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. Yeah. We're all ones. In the all, right? Connected to the all. Yeah, like one giant CPU. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for sharing that, Amanda. That was fascinating. Wow, that's so cool. (laughs) That's so cool. You're welcome. Yeah. Going back a little bit, I wanted to comment, was it a psychiatrist or psychologist who recommended that you see a psychic? It was like a regular mental health therapist. I was shocked. She doesn't prescribe stuff. So it was like just your regular family counselor therapist. I was seeing her because it was crazy. And as I was leaving one day, she just stops me and says, hey. And I'm like, what? From you? Really? But, you know, talk about being guided. (laughs) Right? I mean, somebody probably like took over her body at that Totally. And it was just this crazy. And, you know, how it all played out and how many people... Just there was so much synchronicity to once I said yes and once I chose how it really unfolded, it showed me that once you do get aligned, once you do follow it, no, it's not easy, but it does happen for you in a different way. And I started to understand that everything was happening for me, not to me. And if things didn't work out that moment, it's because there was more data I needed, more information, more something. And so I just had to keep going. And I've really operated like that ever since. Things in my business don't work like I want to, or things in my life don't work out. Okay, this is happening for me. What is the lesson here? What is the piece I need? What shift is needs to happen? Whatever it is, it's always happening for me. Yeah. So I'm curious, I'm going to probably word this in a funny way or ask this in a funny way. Who are the key entity players in the background for you? Like who's downloading this information to you? Who's guiding you? Who do you give credit for being part of your team in the background? So it's changed over time. In the beginning, it was very much angels because that's the language that I had first had. And then that shifted as I stepped into more awareness. And for a little while, it was the aliens because everybody was talking about all of these different collectives and different things. And then that shifted because... I realized that my energy wants to go bigger than any of those frequencies. And I want to understand the truths of the universe from a quantum level. We don't need to name everybody and make it all very human because that doesn't really make sense. And at this point, it feels like future versions of me and other aspects of myself guiding me. And I can trust it because it's myself and it's not outside of self because I don't see us connected in this. We are one. Like I, I've always struggled with that because I'm not a lot of things and I'm definitely not that. And 
I struggled with that one and it kept me away from spirituality for a really long time. But what I've come to now is actually we are all, we are connected to the all and my individuality isn't lost in that. And so when I follow myself and when I follow the possibilities that I've put out before me, I know that I'm guiding me. And so who's pulling the strings? Me. I am. And I'm connected to all of these different things and I get to make those choices. Ooh, I like that. So it's, we are ones connecting to all, not all connecting to one. Yeah, we are. Oh, I love that. Yes. Yes, That's wonderful. Such a great way to look at it. I had never thought of it that way before. That's pretty incredible. And would you, I mean, I don't know, maybe this is just kind of putting it in a box, but would you say when you say it's like you, your future self and things like that, is that Mm -hmm. similar to higher self, how people perceive higher self? Yeah. Okay. I think so. I struggle with the hierarchy of saying higher self. It implies that there's a lower self and that an ego self is wrong. And an ego self is actually trying to keep you safe. And an ego self is helping you in this human experience. And we can't reject the human part of it. And we can't say we're going to overwrite that because we're going to set our body into a fight or flight response. And we're going to not feel safe anymore to make decisions. And the amount of people who want to be connected, but don't actually deal with feeling safe in their bodies, make it really, really difficult. And so to me, it's not higher, but it is the way a lot of people talk about it. Sure. Yeah, no, I totally get it. And I think sometimes we maybe not realize how much wording can have an impact on how we perceive things. So I think that's fantastic. So to to help wrap up our interview today, Amanda, I was wondering if you could give the listener advice by sharing what advice would the Amanda of today give the Amanda from either during the throes of everything that was happening or when you first found out what was happening, just so that it's relevant to what you shared today? Yeah. So what's coming to me to share right now is there's always more to be seen and to take pause and actually feel into what's actually happening and recognize there's more under the surface in every single experience. And we tend to want to act quickly and make decisions, but without actually feeling all of the levels and layers of what may be happening. The biggest advice I would give myself in that moment would be to just pause for a minute and really feel into each of this and really feel what was true to me and operate from that place. Oh, that's really wonderful and really great advice. So thank you so much, Amanda. Thank you for sharing your story with us and your truth and what you learned from that. I think that's going to be really helpful to many people, no matter their circumstance. It doesn't have to be the exact thing, but there are many things that are similar when it comes to relationships. So thank you so much for your time and for sharing today. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And that was another episode of A Guided Life Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. And until next time, love and light always. Do you ever feel that calling that you should be doing more with your life? If you're unhappy with the status quo, I can help. My name is Elias Patras, and I'm an intuitive motivator, psychic medium, and motivational speaker. 
I know that feeling and on my podcast, Your Inner Voice, I can help you answer that call to step into your life's purpose. I will show you how to recognize and listen to the signs and signals that are all around us and help you tap into your intuition. Join me for the show here on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network and wherever you get your podcasts. Let's connect, educate, and grow on this journey together.